Thanks to that piece of lieutenant that's always uh, on his podcast, passion us. gentlemen welcome thank you for tuning in new york's finest retired and unfiltered podcast we got a great show for you today we have with us today retired nypd police officer michelle she's a 17-year veteran of the of the new york city police department <coughs> while during her tenure she served in transit district 34 she served in the homeless outreach unit as well as the citywide vandals unit um as always, I'm joined by, I'm John McCary. For those of you that don't know, retired NYPD Lieutenant. And I'm joined as always by my partner in crime, Eric S. Dim, the most complained NYPD cop, also known as AKA the boogeyman on the streets of the Bronx. Eric, how you doing, brother? Outstanding, outstanding. I love all the nicknames. Uh, Michelle, welcome aboard, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank John, you. John, as always, it's a great venture. So Michelle, why don't we just jump right into it and mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and and how you became a cop, or why you wanted to become a cop, if you ever wanted to be. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, I, I grew up in six states. Um, I moved all over. I spent most of my life in New York, either in the city or in Long Island. Um, in high school, I was kind of a misfit, you could say. Like, I wasn't, I didn't get into, like, big trouble, but enough. Um, and I took a criminal justice class in high school and I was like, um, I want to do this. I want to become a cop. Um, when I was a kid, my mom was a school crossing guard in Queens and she did it through the 111th precinct and, um, she did youth council there too. So I was always with her when I was a kid, I was around cops. I'd go into the community affairs office. I put my feet up on the sergeant's table when I was like eight, <laughs> um, but, and then I went to John Jay after high school and I took the test in 99. It was, um, graduated school, tried to get into the military actually as an officer. Um, that didn't pan out. So I had the test and I was like, screw it. I'm going to do what I dreamed of doing, um, and become a police officer. Um, and it's, you know, it's the whole cliche of, I want to help people. I want to lock up the bad guys. Um, but for me, helping people was like the biggest thing that I wanted to do. Um, and yeah, I mean, I wanted to become a cop. It was, you know, it was my thing. It was what I really wanted to do. Bro, what year did you come on, Michelle? Uh, 2002. So the impact years. My class was the first class that had like this sort of impact. Um, Cause I think it was like the following class that it got called impact. We went to, um, a lot of people went to task force, uh, whether it was topside or in transit. Um, but I ended up in a district, but yeah, it was kind of like, they were just starting the impact stuff. All right. So here you are, it's 2002 at that time. How old are you? You might be asking 23, I think. Yeah. 23. All right, so you're at the right age of 23, you've wanted to become a police officer, you've made it. So at this point, what is your vision of the police department and what are you expecting? What are you expecting for your career? Where do you see yourself with the police department? 
Um, at the time, I I kind of actually wanted to go into transit. I had a friend of mine who was on the job, and he told me about transit. Um, I liked the idea of kind of doing things on my own, um, being by myself. Um, and I like I didn't I wasn't like looking to go any further than becoming a cop. I just wanted to be a street cop. And that was it. What, what what was the experience like for as you like walking in as a female? Did you feel like the NYPD was a boys club? Did you feel um, welcome? Like what was that? Was it intimidating? What was it like? No, it wasn't intimidating. Um, I've always been kind of a tomboy, so being around a bunch of guys didn't really bother me. Um, what I found interesting, though, is I had heard about all that, about females getting special treatment, um, you know, and getting hit on and all that stuff. And when I got on, I didn't really find that too much with myself. Um, I don't know, maybe because I was quiet or I don't know what the case was, but I never felt like I had any special treatment. Um, and being around guys was never bothered me. Oh, it's good. It's good. I mean, so like I said, here you are, you're 23 years old, you know, right age, you get on the police force young. Mm-hmm. You went to John Jay, so you, you had a background understanding of criminal justice. Mm-hmm. Here you are in transit, and which is great. You didn't see yourself going any further. You wanted to be a B cop, and I commend that. I think that's great. I mean, I love being a cop, and I used to say all the time, if it wasn't because I wanted to be in a leadership role and the money aspect to it, obviously, I would love to stay as a B cop because I also felt that, you know, the specialized training and the best units are when you're a police officer, because as you move up in rank, you don't have those same opportunities to do those specialized things. So what type of things did you learn in transit? Uh, Any particular observational skills? Like, you know, John and I always talk about anti-crime. What what did you learn in transit that you think is different from maybe Uh, being on patrol or housing? I think you, you, you read people better and your interactions with people, you have so many inter- more interactions with people in transit um, and you people watch. So you pick up on body language really quick. Um, you you also learn how to take care of business by yourself. Um, Cause I used to explain to people all the time in transit, like your backup is, <laughs> is far away. So you learn how to kind of do what you have to do. So everything is safe. Um, and I think plain clothes in transit was was a big learning experience too. Um, I mean, you just again you, you're reading people, um, and I think transit cops, I you know I'm gonna say it, have a little bit of an upper hand with that. I and that would, was a big deal to me. <laughs> how would you like if you had to describe like your style of policing or? like yourself as a, like your career, your police, like what would you say, like overall, like young cop to, to a seasoned cop? Like what, what was your, like uh, your ethos basically? Like what'd you go out and do every day? What, what, what were the things that like, you know, you, you mentally prepared for and like how, how'd that happen? Um, it was, I think in the beginning I was nervous. I was nervous cause I was like, cause I was by myself. Um, I was nervous dealing with people, but what I learned was I always treated people the way I wanted to be treated. And I would go to them, you know, respectfully. And if, you know, they gave me an attitude, then the attitude comes back. Um, but one of the things someone taught me when I was a rookie was if you can get someone to thank you 
for writing them a summons or arresting them, collaring them, you did the right thing. And like, I had perps tell me, oh, you're the nicest cop I've ever, you know, dealt with. You were so respectful. You treated me like a human being. And I think that was really big for me. Um, and that's how I went through my whole career. I did that to the very end. Um, Cause you know, people deserve to be treated like a human. Um, and I was never like super aggressive with people unless I had to be. And I think that's no. what I, you know, I was not like everybody else sometimes with that. You know, it's interesting. And I'm really excited actually to talk to you and memorialize your career because John and I have been pretty expressive and adamant towards Chief Kemper, who's now the, the transit, the transit chief of the New York City Police Department. And we've been pretty expressive and, and in opposition of, of his capabilities and his plan or his lack of a plan to sustain right. what's going on in transit. And John and I have argued, according to the New York City Mayor, that crime is down, especially in transit. And we have argued, and we've actually shown the data that that's actually a complete farce. So here you are, you got on the job in 2002, which I, I do believe was a very different time than when you got out. So you got out, we spoke offline, you said 17 years, right? So you got out in 2019, right? And this is the point when things really started to change. Like I think 2018 is kind of like a climatic point. So you said, and, and I agree, there was a time that you used to police solo and you would do your patrol solo in transit. And I remember, you know, working in housing in the, initially in my career, I, I got on January 2004 and patrolling in housing and many times being solo. But I do think now is a completely different time. And you got out 2019. Would you agree that it's completely unsafe and it just would not be a fact? And we understand you have the grit, you get the grit back then to patrol solo, but I don't think you can patrol solo now in transit with the way things are right now, the lack of support, the change of policy and law. Do you agree on that assessment compared to when you started versus now? Yes. Um, and I think the, the big change in transit, and I think guys in transit were grateful for having a partner was when Ramis and Lou got assassinated. Um, and that was like a big, everyone in transit was like, let's go, give me a partner. Cause it's not safe. Um, and I definitely think like partnering up in transit is a good idea. Um, it makes, you know, just makes it safer, makes it easier. You know, as much as I liked, you know, being by myself, it was good to have somebody else. Absolutely. You need somebody. I mean, Patrol was solo. Well, it wasn't solo. Patrol was like they would sometimes put a cop out solo in a patrol car until Cecil Sledge was killed in Brooklyn, working by himself his whole week because his partner went out sick. And, you know, I didn't like transit for that reason, because I was like, I don't I don't think that this is a job you could actually effectively do by yourself because you do need other people, right? Like my, the, the most effective way you could be as a cop is when you have other cops around you. Right. You, right. And like, that's a, that's a scary situation um, to be in. But I, I, I agree with you, Eric, a thousand percent. I mean, if at one time you were able to be a cop in New York city, and I still say that is very dangerous to do by yourself, whether you're standing on a solo foot post, you're down on a train platform with hundreds of people, very dangerous situations, even when there was a sense of calm through New York City. Today, there is absolutely no way I would want to stand by myself, feel comfortable standing by myself. No way. 
especially like I was telling someone the other day when I came on, you know, we had our things here and there in transit. You might get, you know, um, one murder, two murders in a year in transit. Like it just never happened. Um, and now today, like it's every other day, someone's getting pushed. Someone, um, you know, something's happening on the train. People are getting stabbed. Like I was like, I never dealt with any of that. It was never like that. And, um, it, it just, it's crazy to me how much crime has gone up since, you know, even since I got out, it's wild. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that's what I say also has changed completely. So obviously when you got on 2002, there was crime in transit and, and there was that danger factor, of course. Mm -hmm. But I, I think what has completely changed, and I don't know if you've seen these videos, is that if you're in transit solo or even you're having a partner, not only is the, the crime out of control and we're seeing an extreme amount of slashings, stabbings, mm -hmm. I mean, the issues with knives are out of control. But what we see is now the police themselves are the targets, especially when they're solo. We have this guy, notoriously, this infamous Richard, who goes around and, and taunts cops and taunts them and, and tries to grab onto their holsters of such. So we see the cops are being attacked. I, yeah. I consider it ter terroristic threats where they're being intim intimidated and their 50A is displayed and it's meant to... It's meant, it's meant for a, a political charge. And, and to me, that's that's a terrorist act. It's meant to intimidate the police officers. Mm -hmm. So and that's where I think the, the, the dynamics have completely changed. Because not only is there crime, but the police themselves are under you know complete threat. Uh, so again, so you got out in 2019, right? So that's 17 years. Could you tell us of what led to you leaving at 17 years? Uh, uh, did you get a vested pension, a vested retirement? How did you end up leaving after 17 years? So I ended up getting, uh, I ended up getting surveyed off, which is for medical reasons. Um, you get 50%, you lose out on some other stuff. Um, so I was psyched off. Um, I went through the medical division for a couple of years in total. Um, and I went through the board three times. And the last time I was just like, you know what? I want to go. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of the games. I'm sick of the nonsense. I want out. So, so we, we talked offline, Michelle. So mm -hmm. like, what do you, I like what point in your career did you start to have issues? Like where you were like, and, and what were those issues? Um, particularly like focusing around on environment and, and work or whatever it may be personalities that were causing you stress. So I had my son in 2011, in November of 2011, the following summer, um, I started getting anxiety, um, like just a whole bunch of stuff. And I thought it was postpartum, um, at the time I called Papa and, um, and I got help from them. And as my therapy started going on, I realized that I was having problems with my marriage. Um, and at the same time at work, I was starting to have some issues at work. So it was like compounded. Like I didn't have a place to just, um, 
relax. You know what I mean? Because like at home, if things were bad and at work, things were good. At least I got some peace and quiet or vice versa. But in 2012, it was just like, you know, a waterfall of stuff. Um, And then I realized like, you know, I'm having panic attacks and things like that. And, you know, it continued from from there. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I used to say that all the time. And I'm I'm really glad that you said that. Kind of like it used to me, I used to think it's kind of like scale, right? You take the scales. If things are good at home, right, they're bad at work. If things are right, they're good at work and they're bad at home. So at least you have an outlet, right? If things are bad at home, you're at work, you have an outlet. Or if they're yeah. bad at work and they're good at home, so here you are getting you're getting hit with things on both sides, right? So that's tough. But could you tell us, because John and I have argued this, that law enforcement itself is a stressful job throughout the country, throughout the world. If you're taking part in law enforcement, it's 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 a stressful job. Mm-hmm. But we're aware of that, and we're willing to take on that. Right. But John and I have said that the internal pressures of the NYPD are what's really leading to this mental health epidemic, and mm-hmm. even more importantly, that we put an emphasis on this suicide. So. Could you tell me the, the issues that you were having with anxiety and panic attacks? Was that from just law enforcement itself, or was it from the internal pressures of the NYPD of what John and I have been talking about in this podcast? So I've said this a lot to a lot of people. I would I would have rather dealt with the public, the perps, the scout. Like I would have rather dealt with anybody on the street then deal with the internal nonsense. Um, I'll never forget having to beg for the day off for my daughter's first birthday. Beg. Wow. It came with an attitude. It came with, well, we're doing you a favor. Um, and that's not, you know, it's not uncommon. I knew a lot of people where I worked. You know, they had like a, a birthday party, uh, anniversary or whatever, something important. And... Boss is telling, nope, sorry, manpower. Or, you know, uh, well, your activity wasn't so great, so um, I'm going to deny you the day off. So it was the internal stuff that just, it, oh, man, it really, it's really stressful. And it's just so aggravating. So aggravating. Michelle, so, I mean, you know, I was always, you know, blessed to have my wife to take care of my children mm-hmm. while I was at work. I was in a, she was in a, I was an absentee parent. I was never there. She was, right. she was the, she did everything right. You know, for always my, my entire career. I'm sure if you, if you speak to Eric's wife, it's the same thing. But when he was working, he was rarely there. Um, so we don't really have the perspective of being mothers or women on this job. Right. Could you just bring us back to when you were pregnant and Mm -hmm. did you have any issues at that point and walk us through your pregnancy with the job before or after? Okay. I have two kids and two pregnancies while I was on the job. Okay. Uh, My first pregnancy was, I was working overnight. It was a nine o'clock to 6 a.m. tour. And when I got pregnant, they put me on the desk and when I, I was working in Vandals at the time and we didn't, ha- I worked overnight. So there's no one in the building at night and we didn't have any locks on the doors, nothing like that. 
Um, and I was not comfortable with that at all. Being pregnant, like I'm at a disadvantage and like safety wise. And, uh, you know, after a couple of months, I was like, I need, like, I really need to work days. You know, I'm having sleep issues. I'm pregnant, this and that. And they finally put me on days, but it feels like whenever they do something for you, it comes with a catch. It was like, well, I'm putting you on days to be nice. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and like, and then after that, it wasn't so bad. Um, with my second pregnancy, um, I had just gotten back to district 34, got pregnant. I happened to be the admin lieutenant was nice. Um, he was like, you know, I can put you in crime analysis. You can help the guys out in there. So after that, I ended up staying in crime analysis for a couple of years. Um, but being a mom is like, if, if, you know, you ask for something for, to do with your kids, they're like, well, you took this job, you knew what it entailed. <laughs> it's like, you know, and, and, and like, I was married at the time and I saw them say that to single moms. And I'm like, you know, like, come on, you know what I mean? Like they'll, and they'll put you back. Like there's no consideration at all for moms. I'm glad you say it. John and I, you know, we're, we're supportive of everyone, but especially women in the NYPD, especially mothers. You know, we have kids ourselves, so we completely understand. And I had plenty of women working for me, and, and I saw some of the trials and tribulations that they went through. So I'm curious, especially when it came to breastfeeding. I know they, you know, they came out with these pods that they have at the precinct, and you know, some of the some of them they're nice. You know, it's it's like a comfortable vibe. It's kind of nice, but. I, I, I was on some details sometimes and I had women working for me and in some precincts they didn't have those pods and they still, it still wasn't up to date. They had like these like terrible conditions. And um, so I don't, were you breastfeeding when you were on the job? Did you experience any of this or, or, or are you? Okay. No, my straight to bottle when they were born. Uh, did, did, you, did you not breastfeed because of the job or that's just something? You, uh, could you, could you explain that? Yeah. So, um, they, they give you six weeks. Well, they give you 10 weeks, four weeks prior to the birth, six weeks after. Um, and my thing was, why should I breastfeed if I'm going to go back in six weeks? My kid's going to get like three or four weeks from breastfeeding, and then I got to switch them over to formula. And I didn't think that was fair. Um, and like, I don't even remember anyone coming back and breastfeeding and pumping at work or anything like that. Like, cause I think most of the girls did that. They were like, I can't breastfeed cause I have to go back to work. That was, you know, that's how I thought of it. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that is a major fail in the police department. It's always, yeah. been, you know, it's always been a hundred percent. I mean, it's uh, epic fail. Yep. About as far as like the medical division during your pregnancies, did you have any issues with them? Um, my, my first pregnancy, no, I'm trying to think my second pregnancy. I don't think I did either. And, I think I got lucky with whoever the job had as, as OB doctors for pregnancy. It's if they were even OBs. Um, like I got lucky in that sense. I never had any issues. And I think I only had to go down to left rack once with each pregnancy. Okay. So it wasn't. All right. So, so then after the pregnancy, you start having anxiety. Yeah. Um, so I'll just tell you, I'll, I'll just, for the viewers too, I'll just tell everybody now. I never had anxiety on the job. I was always able to deal with a ton of pressure. Even the vaccine mandate, 
right. a ton of pressure. You know, my hand was steady the whole time. Didn't bother me. I moved my family in seven days to Florida. I opened up a business to feed my family steady. My hand was steady, nothing. Now in retirement, I'm starting to experience anxiety. I thought that I was having a heart attack, right? And I never knew what anxiety was. I went to the doctor, I got all my blood work, I'm fine. Turns out I have anxiety now in retirement. But I, so like when, when people say that to me, if you would have told me that 10 years ago, I would have been like, oh, that's ridiculous. I don't know what that means. You have anxiety. Nothing could to you, worry about. Yeah. Could you just explain what that means? What's that? Could you just explain what that means? Anxiety? Yeah. <laughs> For me. Um, and I think everyone's experience with it, with panic attacks or anxiety attacks are different. <laughs> There's a lot of similar things that people get. Um, for me, it was, I would, you know, something would happen and I would start overthinking it. I would start like the adrenaline would go through. I would start getting the shakes. Um, and once that started, it was a snowball for me. The thoughts would just keep going and going and going. And it would branch out like, you know, it would branch out to this. It would branch out to that. And it would be so overwhelming. Um, I would start like his, like I would start crying and it was like that cry that just it wrecks your body. And, uh, and it would feel like someone was sitting on my chest. Like I couldn't breathe. Um, and after that I would get like super tired. Like my body was just so exhausted and I would actually usually have to like take a nap after. Um, but that's for me, like, that's one of the biggest things with anxiety was just that the constant thoughts, the racing thoughts. It's, no, it's horrible. It's, and, and sorry, Eric, before you go, no. I'm going to jump off for one second and I'll be right back. You guys stay on. But just okay. so I, I, as I was experiencing it, the thought process in my head was, I'm like, I don't know what I would do if I, when I was on the job because I'm completely debilitated while right. this is going on. Like I can't drive, I can't mm -hmm. work out, I can't go for a walk. I'm literally laying in my bed. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know what I would do. And I, I feel like I, the, knowing the pressure that the NYPD puts on, I feel like I would lie about it. Right. And say I have the flu or something. Like I, I don't, and cause I don't believe that the resources are there. I'm sorry to jump off on you guys. I gotta, I gotta just jump off for a minute. But guys, please keep going. All right. Okay. Uh, do your thing, brother. Do your thing. Uh, Michelle, first of all, I want to say thank you for giving giving us that insight. I think it's so important. It's really impactful. There's such a huge mental health problem going on with the NYPD. And again, I'll say it. I'll say it. I think, and I believe it's the internal pressures the NYPD that are causing these problems. I think you know, with everything this grassroots is to cause and effect. And I just want to say it myself. So. I've always been a cool, calm cucumber of my whole life. You know, I, I handled things very well, especially stress. I was in Iraq mm -hmm. with the Marine Corps. I went to officer school. It was great. You tell me we should be an officer. Went to officer school as undergrad in the police department. I was always excellent at handling stress. My last year on the job, right, I had eight sets of administrative charges from CCRB. Now, I never had any stress issues. and. I never realized what I was experiencing until John recently, him and I were talking and he was telling me about the anxiety he was having. So it made me reflect on what I was experiencing back then. And back then when I received eight sets of charges, I was put on a shelf and it was almost like I was treated like I had leprosy. 
And like I had a stain. Like nobody wanted to deal with me anymore. I mean, I went from being a Captain America, the boogeyman. I was the guy getting guns. And, you know, everybody loved me. But once these charges started to build up from the Civilian Complaint Review Board, they were afraid to go near me. It was almost like if you if you go near Eric Dim, he's got eight sets of charges, maybe get one too. And I was telling John, I didn't know it. But now after speaking to John and hearing your story, I had anxiety and panic attacks myself. I didn't know it, but there were days where I thought I was going to have a heart attack and I would, I never told anyone this and I'm saying it now because I want to help people, but I would drive to work and I would literally have to pull my car over sometimes halfway through and just stop because my heart would be pounding. I thought I was having a heart attack and I had to like, almost like shake my head. And I used to, and I'm telling, I have no shame on this. I used to talk to myself, listen, you got this. Don't let nobody get to you. Forget about this. And I even accepted you know what? If I get terminated because of these civilian complaints, I know I did the right thing. And I, I, I came to a matter of acceptance. I said, you know what? I'm not going to let anybody get to me and I'm going to fight this. But there were days where my heart was just convulsing. At it, and I didn't know what it was. And now I know. And, and, and the reason why I think it's so important because I never had any stress issues my entire life. And this was all caused by what's going on with the NYPD, this progressive policies, this overzealous civilian complaint review board. So what other factors of the NYPD led you to have anxiety? Did you have anxiety issues growing up? Did you have any issues or was this the inception? Was this brought on because of the NYPD? Um, well, looking back, like you said, you didn't realize that it was like a panic attack. And once I became more self-aware of what was going on with me, I realized I, you know, I had some form of anxiety for a long time since I was younger, um, but it never it never got to the point where I was having panic attacks. Um, and in the NYPD, it was, you know, I think the anxiety for me was we're going to switch your tour. We're going to put you on midnights without a care in the world. Um, I was told I was going on midnights because I, I had just gotten back to a command and the CO didn't know me and I had scheduling issues. Um, with my husband at the time and he was like nope go to midnights and that was like like my heart ripping out of my chest like how am i going to do this how am i going to manage this i'm not going to see my kids i'm not going to see my husband i'm going to work overnights i'm going to be a mess and just because he didn't know who i was like how do you do that to someone and that's the type of stress you get like I said before, deny days off. Um, you know, they could switch your tour. They could they could even mess with you with overtime. Um, you know, I when I worked overnights, I was off Sunday, Mondays. And if you work midnights, you know you really only get one day off, like one full day off. And we would get assigned overtime every like every week on that day off. And it's like, you know, I can't, you know, no one can catch. And it wasn't just me. It was other people too. And it was like, you know, can we catch a break? Can we get a day off? But it was done on purpose to, to, to mess with people. And to me, like, you know, if you don't know how to process stress in a healthy way, you're going to push it all down, push it all down, push it all down. And then at some point it's just going to break. And yeah. it's, it's bad. I mean, but how could you process stress in a healthy way when you have so much coming at you that are right. intertwined, right? Like the job outweighs your life. Right. right? 
and it it, it 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 interferes completely with your personal life especially as a mother I, I, and again even as a single mother you know i you know I, I remember all the young guys particularly young men would be annoyed at like that i would give a single mother off whenever she asked right and they'll be like oh she's gonna get another day off like yeah and she'll get a day off tomorrow too because you're gonna go home and play xbox later she's got to go home and take care of her kid i was like you got that so I'll give her off tomorrow too. I was like, if I could, I'd take some vacation days from you and give it to her too. But like, you know, they looked at it as me being soft and and, and I kind of was because I knew how hard, like I just put myself in that situation. And I'm like, wow, I would never be able to do this because the only way that I compartmentalized stress was I just didn't deal with it. I didn't care. You're going to change my talk? Didn't matter. My wife was taking care of the kids. You're going to give me overtime on Saturday? Didn't matter. My wife is taking care of the kids. Right. Say for the next 24 hours and I'm not going home today. Doesn't matter. And that's how I dealt with it. Like, you know, and I was able to defeat like that and like stay healthy during work because of all that. But I did experience those things. And even I, even I, I experienced it happen to other people, like watching things happen to Mm -hmm. you or to somebody else bothered me. Right. Like it was, I was like, this is what we do when somebody's somebody's kid dies. God forbid. This is what we do when someone has a baby and has complications. This mm-hmm. is what we do when someone has a special needs kid. Like this is what we do for them. Who right. cares? Get back out there. This is a job you took. Yeah. Well, Michelle, I just want to say I'm going to be bluntly honest. Mm-hmm. Most people, they're probably going to watch this podcast. They're going to say, you know what, Michelle? This comes with the territory. I mean, you you became a police officer. The, the, the stuff that you're talking about is normal stresses. Big deal. Boo-hoo. I'll be honest, that, that's probably what they're going to say. But this is my argument. I believe that stress is relative. And everyone, as John said, for him, that would not be a stressful situation because he had his wife in a, in a position where she could take care of the kids, right? So, yeah. but you are not in that position. So stress is relative depending on how your life is set up. The same way, just as people talk about, hey, why don't you put all your money in a 401k in the 457? Everyone has a different financial plan and different setup of the way they live. So for some people, they could put 20% in their 401k in 457. And some people can't. Yeah. Because, and it's the same thing with stress. Some people, it's a stressful situation to have their tour changed. And for some, it's not. And this is the problem I see. It's not what you're stressed about is the issue. It's that the job doesn't have any plans on any or any seminars on how to coach people through stress and also a lifestyle and career in police departments. Mm -hmm. There's no transition from you going from an everyday police officer to becoming pregnant, having to be in a limited or restricted position then mm-hmm. going out on maternity leave and coming back. There's no transition. It's just, oh, hey, you had a baby? Okay, go back out on the street. And there's no transition. And right. there's no conversation on how how do we accommodate one another? We don't have any contingencies, contingency plans. Right. If we had plans in place, you know, of how we could work around these child care issues and things. And then and, and, and what I'm saying is a support system. We right. don't have any support system. And if we did, then these stresses wouldn't be a problem because for you, you didn't have that support system. John and I had that support system when it came to childcare and you didn't. And that's why we're saying, especially for single mothers, it must be like 
oh my god like, if you have an arrest and you have to stay late it must be the worst thing like, you know or you know for me i have to say i had i had two pit bulls so that was my stress sometimes if, if i was at work for so many hours like oh my god i gotta get home to them all right because i knew i was walking into a mess or you know i was worried yeah. you know could somebody walk them so everyone has different stresses but we don't have a plan so when you started going through this anxiety did you go to early intervention or anything for help and and if so did they help you how did you find ways to bring this anxiety down so to something manageable i went i went through papa back in in 2012 because by that time i knew not to go through the job because they would basically they, they victimize a victim um you have someone with issues who's trying to get help and everyone's gonna know because they're gonna see notifications because you're doing it on job time that you're going down for counseling or whatever. Um, and I didn't wanna do that. I didn't want people in my business. Went through Papa, went to therapy, got on medications. I was doing really, really well. Um, I was handling stuff and until the job found out. Um, and then once they found out, it was like my world was turned upside down because it's just, they'll, they're like, it's just, they victimize you again. It's, and you're already stressed. You're already dealing with stuff. And they, they, you know, now everyone knows your business. <laughs> if, if you don't mind, uh, if it's not too personal, what, how did they find out? So I was restricted duty. I had um, an injury in my neck and I was restricted for a while. Um, I was ready to go back full duty. And I went to the, the department surgeon and I went to see the department orthopedic surgeon and she was going through everything. And she asked me, she was like, um, what medications are you taking? And I'm thinking she's talking about for my neck. So I'm like, yeah, I only need like Advil or a leave or whatever. And she goes, no, what are you taking for depression? I was mm -hmm. like, what? And she's looking at my paperwork from my doctor and my, the paperwork from my doctor, you know, they always ask you what medications you're on and it was in my paperwork and that's what she saw. And she was her, her, she says, turns around and says to me and goes, I got to talk to somebody about this. And my jaw and my heart just dropped. Cause I knew what that meant. It meant the job was know everyone was gonna know what was going on with me i was embarrassed and you know full of anxiety now what about hipaa laws you know <laughs> I to the nypd <laughs> you actually sign them away when you're dealing with the district yep. surgeon you sign right. them all away when you're dealing with them so everybody can be in your business yep it's great it's fun yeah so, so what was that experience like then moving forward? You had all this anxiety about it. You're embarrassed. You're like, holy crap. I didn't really didn't want the job to know that I was dealing with this stuff. Like, what was your, like, what was your, uh, like, so what, what actually transpired from that? That what were your anxiety and fears met? Was it worse? Was it better than you thought? Like what happened? Um, so at that time, I'm trying to think that was in 2012 ish. So I was, I was in crime analysis and at the time, um, I had a CO who was great and I was able to stay in crime analysis after they took mom, my guns and my shield. Um, 
but it was like, have you ever seen like movies, like old medieval movies when they have like the walk of shame and people are throwing tomatoes at them? Like, that's how I felt going into work. Like I kept my head down. I did my work. I didn't really interact. Uh, I mean, I'd like, you know, close people that I interacted with, but I didn't want to talk to them about it either. It was, I felt shameful. Michelle, could you walk us through so we can understand the process? We want to understand the process so we can analyze this and hopefully come up. Maybe this is a good process or hopefully we can try to come up with ideas to help the police department, to help cops with a better process. So walk us through it. At this point, here you are. It's now, it's now obvious. It's been exposed that you're taking medicine for depression. What are the steps that happen? How does the job get notified? Who gets notified? What steps are taken up to this point when you get to the precinct? So um, the day that that, that happened, um, I ended up having to stay at the medical division for a couple hours because they had to notify um, Lefrak. And I don't remember, because this is a while ago, um, so my details are a little cloudy, but they, okay. noti they notified Lefrak. Um, the the two bosses came out to the medical division in Staten Island, picked me up, took me to the district, um, went to the desk, said, you know, um, so-and-so, whatever. They're like, oh, we won't, you know, be loud about it or whatever. And I was like, at the point, I was just like, whatever. They go get my guns um, and we leave. And, you know, now the desk sergeant knows. Now the um, whoever's on the TS knows, whoever's hanging around, you know, by the desk knows now too. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's like the game of telephone. It's this one tells that one, this one tells that one. Um, and I don't know what they could do like necessarily differently, like as far as going to get your guns and things like that. Um, but don't walk people in front of the desk like that. Don't, like try harder to make it more like confidential because people with mental health is issues, especially if they're still just starting to work through everything, little things, anything can kind of trigger them because they don't have the tools yet to really deal with it, I guess. Um, and for me, like it was, I was sick to my stomach every day I went to work. I was, I get anxiety and I feel it like in my chest and it was, I don't know. It's just horrible. Like, how do you do that to people? I just want to ask you this. And just from what you're telling me, I've kind of made an assessment on a huge problem. So at this point, it's been exposed. It's identified that you're taking medicine for depression. Mm -hmm. All the steps are now being taken in place to make the notifications with the job. Right. Guns are being removed. So all I see right now is CYA for the job. Can you tell me this? At this point, did anybody say, why are you taking this medicine? What's going on with you? Are you okay? How can we help you? Nope. Right, John? I mean, that's what I see as a problem. It's like, hey, you know what? It's like, hey, she's taking medicine for depression. Stop everything. Notify everyone. Take her guns. Yes. But nobody's yes. saying, hey, listen, Michelle, are you, are you right? okay? What's going on with you? You know, John, this is, this is, this is. This is, a, a, this is a huge problem right here. I've got a funny but horrible story with that. Um, so 
between that time and another time I had gone back to full duty and I had another incident and I was at the medical division in Staten Island, a Lieutenant comes over to me and she's like singing and whatever. And she goes, Oh, you know, you go out and party. Do you drink? And I looked at her and I was like, I know what you're doing. You're looking to see if, if, if I'm a drunk. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I looked at her and I was like, no. And she, you know, slithered back into her office. Like, <laughs> yeah, and they had that whole promotional thing. I think they did that for a while. Are you okay? And nobody, like, come on. Nobody cares. The only people that cared were people I was close to. That was it. Maybe like, you know, two or three people. Oh, yeah, I mean, you're, you you know, you're bringing me back and, and Eric too, just about like talking about like if somebody gets jammed up or if somebody's experiencing a, a medical situation or a mental health situation, you walk in the precinct or whatever command it is and the air is thick, right? Yep. I, and I really do think because I've been there myself and I'm guilty of it as well. You know, oh, I, I, it's not me. Right. Oh, it's not me, you know, and yeah. everyone's kind of like, yeah. You know, and you kind of are the pariah, you know, you kind of yeah. are a pariah, whatever yeah. the situation is, whether you're jammed up, whether you have a mental health issue, you have a physical issue. And the thing always comes back to what I notice what cops always do. And I've done it myself. And so I'm not excluding myself from this is say you're a scammer. Yep. You're a scammer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yep. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's that's anything and i know it too like it's so, so so was health and wellness a thing when you were around did uh or is the, or was this a new unit is that has this unit uh been created after you retired or did you deal because the only i think the only thing we had was um at the time was early intervention early like, well same thing yeah uh, health and wellness is just a, is a thing out of early new name yeah <laughs> Yeah. It's, like, it's like early intervention had a baby. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so what was your experiences with early intervention? Oh, I didn't deal with them. I dealt with, because the early intervention, I believe, was in downtown Brooklyn, and that's where they used to do, like, counseling. They would do the, the alcohol counseling and, like, mental health counseling. Uh, I dealt with psych services at Left Rack. Um, they have, like, a handful of therapist there um and the running joke was you know no one else would hire them so they worked for the nypd um and i had... <laughs> <laughs> it's the same you know that's true right <laughs> it's the same thing with the tech guys you know that like the guys for like computers and everything yeah. <laughs> i digress um i had to go to psych services once a month and it was like you know, the same questions every time. How's your stress? What have you been going over with your therapist? And my therapist was supposed to, she wanted notes for my therapist. And my therapist was like, no, I'll give her like the most vague general thing just to appease her. She's like, I'm not getting into details with her. It's none of her business. <laughs> so, and you know what? And it's like, when you go to that too, you can't tell them what's really going on you're afraid to because you're afraid they're going to do something else to you you're worried about your dog 
if if I told if I told psych services that in the worst of my anxiety, I like if I was driving and I had really bad anxiety, I just wanted to ram my car into a telephone pole just to stop it. I couldn't tell the job that. <laughs> they call like you know, they call for me, call a bus for me and take me to Jamaica Hospital. <laughs> like and I don't need to go there, but it's 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 a game they play and it's a game I had to play with them. It's not help. So here you are, right, Michelle? You're at you're at the you're at the surgeon. It's been identified and exposed that you're taking depression for medicine, right? Everyone now is asking if you're okay. They're all showing concern. You go to work, they're all hugging you, sitting you down, making sure you're okay. I'm sorry, this is this is not the New York City Police Department. This is this is this is what should happen. But here you are, right? So you're at the, you're at this position, right? Nobody cares. We all know it. Like John right. said, you're a pariah. I always say, if you're in a situation on this job, mental health, or you're jammed up, or you know you're you're attacked by an overzealous civilian complaining people boy like myself, you get leprosy. It's yeah. almost like a big stain on the clothes, and people wash it, and they just can't get it off, so they just throw it away. That's what yeah. they do. They throw you away. Nobody wants to talk to you anymore. It's like don't even look at that person, you know. And John's yeah. right, and that's unfortunate. Is that you, you know the police department? We say it's a family. We care about each other, but th that's complete farce. Because most people are saying, "Hey, is she okay? You know what? Let's see if she needs anything. Let's see if she needs help." But they say exactly what John's saying. Ah, she's a scammer. You know what? She's trying to get over. It's, you know, it's it's probably told BS. Oh, you know, she probably just doesn't want to work. Typical female. She wants to work inside. Yeah, I'm sure that was said too. Absolutely, right? Or, or you know, I've even heard people say, "Oh, uh, you know, this, you know, some women have uh, big families. I've I've seen some women uh, have several children on this job, and they're like, look at so and so getting pregnant again. They just don't want to come to work. So, oh, right? I mean, I know it's crazy. Yep. I yeah, I I've had that where it's like, you know, you have like a female who has, uh, you know, four kids, maybe five kids, whatever, and. The, the the joke was oh you know she spent out of whatever twenty years maybe five years on patrol and the rest of the time she was pregnant and out on maternity. Well, so here you are, right? So you, now you're going to uh, it, it, it's exposed and you and you had your guns removed. Mm -hmm. So while your guns are removed, what capacity are you working in? What are you doing for the police department at this point? So back then, uh, the guns were removed. I was working in crime analysis, so it was like at the time it wasn't a big deal. Um, but another incident was, I forget where I got transferred to. The last one I got transferred to Viper. Um, and I wanted to go to Viper because the, the, that's what I'm looking for. Like the, the atmosphere at work was just too, too bad. And I couldn't. Michelle, uh, Michelle, many of our viewers, we have a lot of viewers that are, NYPD cops. Some are cops on a, uh, on a national level and throughout the world. And we have a lot of viewers who are not cops. So if you can explain to them what Viper is so they get a better understanding. <clears throat> so in the, the housing developments in New York City, um, some of the developments have uh, camera systems. And those camera systems are um, viewed by cops who are restricted medically or they've gotten jammed up. They've gotten in trouble. Um, you know, and your job is to, if a job comes over in the, in the housing development, you know, you put the cameras on wherever you can, 
you know, your burning video and things like that. And it's like, if you get jammed up, that's like where everyone goes. They send you to the projects. So how was that experience then when you went to Viper? Like you said, you there was like some anxiety at work. Yeah. How, uh, how was the, the Viper experience? Better or worse? Um, I didn't mind Viper that much. And I think I got lucky. I had a good group of guys at Viper and I had a good, I had good bosses too, for the most part. Um, and we were good to each other. Like we, you know, if it was a couple of us working, we would, you know, you know, one would do like two hours in the next person, two hours and things like that. Um, so it really wasn't that bad where I was. Um, but I've heard horror stories about Vipers where I know one of them and they've got roaches, they've got rats, they've got mice, they've got, you know, electrical issues, they've got everything under the sun. Um, and my other issue is, is you're putting cops in a building that don't have their guns. They have no way to defend themselves. Um, and like I said, my Viper, I was very lucky, but I know other ones where, you know, it's like you rushed into the building because everyone know, knows who you are um, and you didn't want to have to run into anything. So here you are, you're in a position right now. Some of these places are, I, I know Viper because I've worked in, in housing for many years. Mm -hmm. Viper's actually been absorbed now. They're actually in the precincts. But prior to that, exactly what you said, you work in the housing development, you have no firearm. Your car now is parked in the housing development. It's not in a, a precinct parking lot where you get which complete security. Right. And some of those places just were just terrible conditions. I know you're only watching cameras, but mm -hmm. the conditions sitting there, like you said, rat infested, sewage problems. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think, I, I'm sure that's not helping your mental health. But at this point, are you continuing taking uh, medicine for depression? At yeah. this point, has the job helped you any way? How about the union? Has the union helped you in any way? They don't care. <laughs> no one in the union. Well, the only thing I can say is the only time the union got involved was when they, 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 um, the one time they like put me on midnights, the CEO that didn't know me very well. And I went to my delegate and I'm like, I'm like, I can't, like, I have kids and, you know, my ex husband works. And I'm like, I can't do this. How am I going to do this? And it was like complete panic. And he did nothing, not nothing, but he, he went in and like, I know for years now, delegates would sort of fight for you, kind of. Like, they wouldn't go full-blown for you. And they don't, because they don't care. They don't care. And then they didn't want to get messed with if they fought too hard. So it's, and they, no one on the job ever asked any of that stuff. No, it's like, I, the only person I can say on the job that asked me, was one of the district surgeons in Staten Island. He always was like, I would if I had to go if I was out sick or whatever, he would always check in. He would always say, How's it going? Is everything okay? You know, how are you faring at work and things like that. That was the only person. Yeah, and that's and that's very rare too from the yes. district surgeon. And I know the district surgeon you're talking about who's a great guy who was essentially forced into a retirement because yeah. there was a chief that wanted to give him medical advice during COVID that he was unwilling to take. Yeah. Um, so I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah. I, you know, so since, you know, since this has happened to you, we've come out with this health and wellness. 2019, I believe, 
health and wellness went big 2020 it started up their motto was if it's important to you it's important to us um i personally think they're a completely toothless unit they do you know do the people there care do they show more compassion when someone's having uh, mental health issues yes i heard from numerous people okay. but you'll still they cannot shield you from the job they cannot right. shield you from the transfers they cannot shield you from the day-to-day -day, the tour changes nothing like that um and particularly during 2020 2021 when this illegal mandate comes in the job caused all this anxiety and it was like oh are you stressed are you feeling okay and a lot of people weren't feeling okay about sixteen thousand people weren't feeling okay and they completely ignored it so yeah. i'm gonna pretend like that organization doesn't exist because they truly don't there's a couple of people that keep chairs warm there um right. and they may care they may care but the organization as a whole is toothless and defunct um and the unit is toothless and defunct and i'm just telling the truth and you know and, and out there if you're listening to this you know, by all means, you should be demoted because you're, you're, you haven't done anything. So you haven't helped anybody mentally. Uh, we could go back to 2021. I have plenty of people. If you want to come on, we could do this offline or online. You're, you're more than welcome. So let's pretend that, that, that doesn't exist. What, to be fair to the job, mm -hmm. what do you think could be done for people in mental crisis? That's a tough one because every incident is kind of different because everyone's different. Um, but I think like, oh, that, I'll give you a perfect example. I remember one of the things happened and when, when they drove me to left rack, I had to speak with one of the therapists and um, I said to her, I'm like, can you put me out sick for the rest of the week? And she goes, uh, I don't know. I don't think I can do that because um, it's mental health and, you know, I, I don't think it's, you know, it's kind of a dicey gray area. And I'm like, I'm not going to work this week. I've just been through the ringer and you want me to go to work tomorrow? Like, and then finally, like I fought back so much. She finally was like, okay, fine. Well, we'll put you out for this week. I can't guarantee anything after that. Like, I just had a crisis and you're telling me I can't go out sick. Let them go out sick. It's covered. Well, I don't know if it's like a, a, a city or a federal thing. The job I was just working at before, I remember looking up like what's what's considered um, like a good thing. Like what's considered, I can't think of the fucking word. Um, what's considered like part of going out sick. What's considered to go out sick. And mental health was on that list. And I actually had to go to my my supervisor at work and say, listen, this is covered. I need to, I need the day off. And he finally, he was like, all right. He goes, all right, I see what you're talking about. That's needed in the department. Like give the cops a break. I will say one thing that they, I don't know if it was true across the board that if you were, if your guns were taken away for psych, they didn't give you highway therapy. They didn't ship you from Brooklyn to the Bronx. They kept you, um, fairly close to your command. Um, but that was like the only thing, like there needs to be something where the cop can just catch a break and decompress and relax and not have to worry about going to work and dealing with everything else that comes with that. Well, 
I, I agree what you said, right? There's different levels of mental health issues. Some are minor, right? They, they could be right. rectified and healed within days. Some people weeks, some people months, and some people even years. Right. So with that being said, uh, at any point, and I, I hope you feel comfortable saying, because you're helping others by talking now, and, and I'm proud of you and for having the courage of coming on this podcast, because you're helping other people who are experiencing mental health issues now more than ever. Mm -hmm. Were you at any point suicidal? Um, it wasn't suicidal. It was like you, like I said before, where my anxiety was so bad and I wanted anything to stop it. Um, I was, I guess you could say clear enough that I, I thought of my kids. I didn't want to leave my kids without their mom. But if I could crash into a telephone pole and maybe black out and go to the hospital, that'll work too. That'll work. But yeah, I was never like thinking about, you know, killing myself, but harming myself. So do you think there was any path for you to get back to work and be an effective police officer? once experiencing these issues? No. Um, because your your history in the department follows you no matter where you go. You know, if um, you think a new command or precinct is going to be better, it's, it's not necessarily because someone in that new precinct is going to call your old precinct and go, what's the story on this person? What's going on with them? And, you know, who knows what they're going to say. But most of the time, it's going to be, oh, she's batshit crazy. You better watch out for her. Even if you're back full duty. You're still going to be an outcast. So, like, and I think that's one of the big things is we need to get rid of that kind of mentality um, when you're dealing with someone who, who's been through some mental health issues. Because that just makes it worse. So, so I get the stigma, like you're saying yeah. that that they don't, they don't secure your privacy, right? right. Like your privacy is out in the open. But let's just say your privacy is there. Like mm -hmm. they, the job could ensure that. We're going to, I don't know, you decide to move upstate. We're going to move you to the Bronx. The Bronx doesn't talk to any other borough except the Bronx. Let's just, right. let's just pretend that that's the yeah. case. Um, do you believe you could have been, like, went back to work? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I was... If I had been given the opportunity with less internal nonsense with the job, um, I think I would have been able to go back full duty and I would have been good because I would have felt like I had the support system to do it. And if I'm still having mental health issues and I still have this from the outside, you know, doing this to me, my mental health issues are still going to be there because that's stuff that's going to bother me and it's not going to help anything. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot, a lot of work to do because, you know, there's so many people who still have those mindsets, um, but there's got to be something. So at this point, I mean, a lot of the stuff that you talk about is stuff that we've 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 talked about in this podcast. And I'm glad that we have you to re reiterate, right? But one, one thing we exposed in this conversation, a lack of a support system from the NYPD. 
And the other thing is that no one is actually legitimately caring, showing any compassion that you're suffering through a crisis. I mean, they saw you had a broken leg. It's obvious they can see that. Hey, how you feeling? Somebody can actually wa help walk you. Right. But when it comes to mental illness, but that stigma, people can't see what you're feeling, and right. and many people can't understand it until it happens to them. Uh, and so, with all this being said, right? So you, you're you're you've been transferred. You went to Viper. You're watching cameras. There's no support system. And all this has happened to you. So mm -hmm. if someone going through this crisis right now, especially things are worse, what do you think, based on your experience, that the police department could do, or the union, or your fellow cops, what could different these different units do to make it better, to get you back to where you're healthy and you could put your uniform back on and be a productive police officer? What what do you think could be done? I think one of the biggest things they could do is kind of do like they can recommend outside therapists to cops. Um, if they had, you know, a list or even recommend it to them, um, you know, maybe find a therapist, maybe find a psychiatrist, you know, we can help you look for one. And know though that even if you go to those doctors, your information with those doctors is kept between you and your doctor, unless it's, you know, extenuating circumstances. But you shouldn't have to require the cop to, they want you to delve all your information and all your medical stuff. You shouldn't have to do that. They don't need to know everything that I'm going through. Um, and I think that would make people more comfortable with seeking help when they know it's not going to be, you know, someone's going to be, oh, look, you know, their doctor said this, this, and this, and it becomes the gossip of the office. There's got to be some privacy because privacy is huge for healing. You don't want everybody in your business. You only want to tell people that you trust and that you love, not, you know, Joe Schmo, the admin lieutenant or whatever. He doesn't need to know. <laughs> yeah. So, so for me, you know, I, I don't like medicine. I don't, I try to uh, avoid it at all costs. Oh, um, I did see a few doctors who recommended it. Um, okay. I didn't, I, I, uh, I started sleeping more. I wasn't sleeping. I work like 23 out of 24 hours a day, usually, whether it's doing this or right. my own business or a different venture or consulting, whatever it is I'm doing, I usually work all day long, never sleep and I run. So I started to sleep. I mm -hmm. started to meditate in the mornings. Mm -hmm. I started to focus solely on my health, what I'm eating. Um, I, I, not that I ever really drank, but I completely cut alcohol out. I cut mm -hmm. down caffeine a lot. Um, and I do believe that I had a little episode that lasted about a week or two mm -hmm. and I'm past it. And I believe that I could be an effective police officer living with anxiety that I do have. Right? Um, do, are you taking any medication now mm -hmm. and that you would think hinder your ability to be a cop? How are you doing now mentally in retirement? Do you feel mm -hmm. like in retirement i could go back i could step into that environment but i need whatever like how is that what, what do you what are you feeling 
Oh, um, I am on medications. I've been on medications since 2012. Okay. Um, kind of a side note, one of the things with the mental health in the police department is they won't send you back full duty if you have to take any sort of benzos, like a medication like Xanax, which I completely understand because that makes you, you're not, your senses, it, you know, dims your senses. Um, and like their, their rule was uh, antidepressants are fine. Anything else isn't. And I think even mood stabilizers were kind of an iffy thing with the department. Um, and I just completely lost my train of thought for the second part of the question. <laughs> I'm sorry. But, but do you think that like, is, is there, is there a way like that requires medication that you believe, like if you're on medication, is there, is there a certain type of medication that would still allow you to be a police officer? Like oh, particularly like the medication that you're saying you're on now, you're saying. Yeah. Uh, I'm on, uh, I'm on a antidepressant and I'm on a mood stabilizer too. Um, but I, I was on medications back then. I was on different medications and I was on antidepressants. I was on Zoloft. Um, and it helped, it helped a lot. And I think if you are on, if you need to be on medications and you're on medications and you're going to therapy regularly and you're, you're learning tools on how to deal with all this, then yeah, you can go back. There's nothing, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that or like, like you should be able to go back. I'd also like to circle back and obviously it got to the point where the internal pressures were overwhelming, you experienced anxiety, and it got to a point that you had to seek out medication. And again, I said this, you know, for some people, they would say, well, that's not really extremely stressful childcare issues. That's something you should work out. But I understand the stresses of it. So I, what, what pre preventive measures do you think could be taken with you and other women like yourself, or even men on the job, uh, what preventive measures could be taken so they don't get into this overwhelming stressful situation and eventually experience anxiety, get to the point of depression, and getting going down this road? Because obviously, listen, you're you're working law enforcement. You you're going to have to work shift, be a shift worker, work odd hours. You're mm -hmm. gonna make arrests. You're gonna have situations where you can't get home immediately. So what preventative measures do you think the NYPD could do or the union to assist people like yourself to not get to this point? I think that they should. So I'll give an example with overtime. Um, if you have, and I, I never understood this and it happened a lot where they would give people overtime that didn't want it and not give overtime to people that wanted it. And my... <laughs> I oh, it happened all the time. If guys want overtime and they're not going over the cap, what difference does it make? If, you know, Jane has kids and wants to be home on her day off, let her stay home on her day off. And if Joe over here goes, I'll take the overtime, let him take the overtime. But to, to the job, it's like, no, because then we can't control you. Like we, you know, you have to know that, you know, we're going to, we're just going to mess with you. Like, but the other thing is who cares what's going over the cap? 
Because if you don't let him go over the cap, he's going to be doing a paid detail and he's going to be doing something else anyway. So why? And 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 is it really affecting the budget when it's overtime? It doesn't really affect the budget, right? Because they're making you take it, so they're still paying somebody. So why not just pay Joe who needs it? Like because it doesn't make sense. Make more money than the higher ups. Well, I, they're fools. You know, John. And John and, and, and Michelle. They should make less money, honestly. They should make less. Yeah. Money. Yeah. I agree with you wholeheartedly because I used to say the same thing. So, I, especially in housing, in the summer, the overtime was was out of control. I mean, there's so much federally funded money that is yeah. is funneled in housing, you know, yep. to address the crime issues. And then there's uh, kids that have to be security for kids when they're playing in housing, different areas, different programs. And what was interesting was that they would have exactly what you're saying. So they would say, okay. Uh, Every cop, let me let, let me just say, rhetorically speaking, can work a hundred out. Will work a hundred hours, right? But exactly, let's say Michelle has a, a childcare situation, and the overtime is really affecting her. But Joe is willing to work two hundred hours. Why can't Joe work your one hundred hours? It's the same amount of time. And that used to be my argument. They're like, no. Uh, you know, Michelle doesn't have any overtime yet. Joe's not working. She's doing it, but she doesn't want it. So now you have a police officer that's, you know, completely like aggravated, you know, not to say that there's going to be times that you have to do things that you don't want right. to do. And I think you're pretty, you seem like a pretty understanding person, but right. when you push you to the brink, like it's absolutely just to be like, well, because I said so. And that's where I say the problem on this job. And I, again, I say every problem comes to bad leadership because yes. that's where the good leader should step and say wait a minute yes michelle's in good standing right now she's got a good evaluation let me find out what's going on with her all right michelle you these days you're having child care issues sometimes you have to step in work all the time let's figure out what days work for you and what days work for joe right. and let's 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 yeah. accommodate and what yeah. right accommodate the cops and also yeah. what's the best interest for the job and somehow find a happy medium and the other thing is too, like you said, leadership, you have, you know, you have people in leadership who will go, well, I know it's an inconvenience for this person and I don't like this person. So guess what I'm going to do to them? I'm going to give them overtime as often as I can. Um, I actually had no, they don't like it. I know they I, don't like it. What's that? I know they don't like it. So I'm going to give it to them. Right. Yeah. Um, so I had an incident where at the time me and the CO were not seeing eye to eye. Um, and it was that every Monday overtime that we were getting and I had a childcare issue. My husband at the time was working. My mother-in-law who helped us out, she was like away upstate. We didn't have anybody. Um, and I got, my last one was, Saturday night into Sunday, I got the notification Saturday night for Monday. And I went to my sergeant and I said, I don't have childcare. And he goes, uh, you know, try calling. We would share overtime with other units. He goes, try calling the other unit, see if anybody wants it. So I tried calling, nobody wanted it. Um, so that Monday morning, I said, I called up, I called up the command and I said, I have no childcare. I can't come in for my overtime. Um, so they came to my house and said I was AWOL when I didn't show up for overtime. Yeah, they came, they knocked, it was a captain 
a lieutenant and a sergeant from my command came, knocked on my door. Like, I still get shaky even still talking about it. Um, and said I was AWOL. And I was home alone with my daughter. And you said, like, I can't, I can't do it. Like, so, but you were properly notified. I missed that. You were properly notified. Like, you knew. But did you yeah. tell them I can't come in and I can't do yeah. it? Two, I told two bosses. Okay. I told my sergeant that night when I got the notification. I, I was like, I can't work on Monday. I've got nobody. And he goes, well, you know how it is. You got to figure it out. Um, what was the overtime? It was, oh, I don't remember what it was called. It was one in eight in the subways in the city. Yeah. So it wasn't <laughs> even like a major detail? Or no. It was, uh, it was, I don't know. I can't remember. It was like Surge or what, I forget the name of it. One of those names. But it was for, it was for activity. And it was for presence on the, the the subway stations. So it wasn't like a detail. It wasn't a parade. It was overtime we had all the time. Um, yeah. So, and so I, how do we, Michelle, how do we di differentiate? Because people listen to this podcast and they're going to say, they're going to say, there's going to be two types of people. Some are going to say, you know what? Clearly, Michelle that doesn't want to ever do overtime, right? And some people will say, hey, listen, she's got childcare issues. I understand. So where do we find like a happy medium? Because there are people in the police department, right, who legitimately just never want to do all the time and they're not willing to bend and try to be flexible at all. Right. And then there are people like you that have legitimate childcare issues. Right. And I think it is, it is problematic. It's Saturday night, right? You're on your way out the door. Right. And give you a notification. And John, John's been pretty expressive on this, on the podcast. And I agree as well. There's no plan in place to, be, to notify you. It's Saturday night, right. and, you know, which is awesome. pretty much almost Sunday. You only have a day to work things out. It's really tough. Um, so what would you say to people that are listening? Are, are people going to say, Hey, Michelle was scamming or Michelle had legitimate issues. I mean, for childcare, what would you say? They're going to say both. Because that's just like the nature of how we were. We're always like cynical about everything. So there's going to be people who go that, oh, she was a scammer. Um, and then there's people who I, I know that understood, like, I, I didn't have anybody to watch my kid. And those people, they said to me, bring your, you should have brought your kid in with you. <laughs> but you know what? And my thing is now, like, I don't care what you think. I know, like, I know what my truth is. I know what I went through. Um, you can think whatever you want. That's not my problem. <laughs> I don't really care. Nah, so what, what winded up happening? Did they, did, were you issued any discipline? What winded yes. Uh, he wanted to give me five days. Um, and he wanted, oh, and my transfer options were District 4 in Manhattan District 23 in Rockaway. And I forget what the other one was. Maybe another one in Manhattan. Like, the not the furthest, but I would have commute issues with those commands. Um, and I, I got together with my delegate and I said I was going to fight it. Um, and it went back and forth a couple times. And, um, and it was getting really, really tense in the commands. Like, it was just, like, I wanted to throw up every day I was going into work. And finally, I told the delegate, I was like three days and I transferred back to District 34. So he went to the CO. He said three days and transferred to 34. And he said, fine. 
I just wanted to get out of there. Like I took that because I wanted out. I didn't care. But yeah, he wanted to. He wanted to. <laughs> for that. Michelle, did you have did you have a contingency plan at home? No, knowing that this, that, knowing that the job at this point, the manpower is really being diminished. You work in transit. Did you have a contingency plan set up that hey, listen, that I have to have childcare set up every day. That God forbid. They do notify me again, right? You've already been disciplined. Right. So now if they notify me on another Saturday night for Monday, did you have now a, a plan in place or how did you go about it further? So even before that, I was doing that over time almost every Monday anyway. Um, so I had, you know, my mother-in-law to help us out. And, or if my ex wasn't working, we figured, we always figured something out. And it just so happened that one time, like I was like this, it was Saturday morning and I'm like, oh, no one got notifications. I didn't get a notification, fingers crossed. And you know, that last minute notification. Um, so yeah, like, I mean, for the most part, I knew like I needed to have a backup plan most of the time. Um, but that one time. <laughs> one time, one time I can't do it. I'm stuck with my kids. Right. Wild. Yeah. I remember, uh, I'm going to start to wrap this up. So, but, okay. uh, I got, I got to run. But uh, I remember one time as a kid, I, I didn't like, I thought he was a terrible cop. He was a know-it-all. He was not a good cop at all, but he had, uh, he had three kids, I believe, and his wife was pregnant. So for men, we customarily give men two weeks off, right? Of their own time. They don't get, even though the law says something different, New York yeah. City Department doesn't abide by the law, obviously, or their own policy. So they, uh, you know, so we give people two weeks off. So I know this kid. I'm not fond of him as a person or mm -hmm. professional. Um, and admin lieutenant comes to me. His wife. Now, I know his wife had a C-section. Okay. So I knew his wife had a C-section. I knew he had three kids. I knew he must be under a lot of stress. And I knew his wife was in the hospital a little longer than she should have been. And the baby was in the NICU. And admin lieutenant comes to me. I'm a young sergeant. John, you got to notify this kid. Um, we got to get him back. I said, he just, his wife just had a baby. She's it's, it's not him. No, 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 no. We're short. He needs to come back. Now I knew he had signed 28. Right. So yeah, his wife's in the NICU. He's like giving me an attitude. The lieutenant. I said, okay, yeah, no problem. I went, I, I got the kid's number. I said, give me his number. Don't worry about it. I said, don't ask me about it. I said, to one of the guys that trust me that I, and I trusted right. on my team. They gave me his number. I texted him. I said, they're going to start calling you. Don't pick up your phone. Mm -hmm. right if anyone asks you you didn't get a call from me mm -hmm. that's it and I text him because I was like and I couldn't believe it I'm like you know what? I don't like this kid I don't mm -hmm. like him. I don't think that he's a good cop I don't think he's a terrible cop and I don't think he's a terrible right. I just he just wasn't my cup of tea we just didn't see eye to eye on things I right. just didn't I, we and him were never going to get a beer and go out for drinks after right I mean like it was just one of those things but like I'm like here this kid is in like a traumatic situation he has three kids Right. He's stressed. His wife's in the hospital. His new baby's in the hospital. And you want me to call him and tell him, come right. back to work while your wife's in the hospital a week early, even though I signed that you'll be there another week. And these are the, this is what you're telling your wife. I'm like, absolutely not. You know? And then, uh, you know, in the days following, I would go to work and the yeah, admin lieutenant, did you get in touch with him? I'm like, nah, bro, his phone's off. Yeah. yeah. Cause he was too cowardly to call him anyway. So right. I was like, I wasn't even worried about it. Right. Like right. I was just like, you know, and I'm like, he wanted like, you and I just I just couldn't believe it. I was like, I can't believe yeah. it. I was like, I can't believe it. Like uh, you know. It's, and that's one thing I noticed on the police department is um 
people put their personal stuff ahead of like like you said you didn't really like the kid you know and not everybody's gonna get along not everybody is gonna like you said go out and have beers together but be a human being like he just you don't have to like the kid he just had he just had a baby and you want to rush him back to work and his wife had issues like be a human have a heart like there's plenty of people i didn't like but if something bad happens to them like yeah i'm gonna help you out i'm gonna you know i'm gonna be a human being i'm gonna like i don't understand how people can sleep at night knowing that they treat people like that you know why you know why michelle because I just want to go back to what I was saying that I think the problems in the police department come down to leadership. Yeah. Bad leadership. And one of the things, one of the traits that you need to be an effective leader is I learned in the Marine Corps, you learn Marine Corps leadership traits and they constantly drilled it to you. And one of the traits that you learn is so important to be a good leader is having courage. And I really agree with that. To be a good boss, you have to have courage. And another thing is you have to be able to emotionally attach. I'm sorry, emotionally detach yourself from the situation. So here, I commend you, John. Because here, John's saying, right, this is not someone I would be drinking buddies with. This is not someone that I particularly like. But he's going to emotionally detach himself from that situation and make the right decision. Even though the admiral lieutenant is saying, just, you know, notify this guy. It takes courage to be a good leader and do the right thing. Yeah. And, and that's- I, I really believe in that. And that's why to this day, I, I believe that I, I will never forget anyone that, that's listening to this right now that took the same lieutenant's test as I did. Everyone remembers. I took the lieutenant's test. It was it was almost like you, you trained for a boxing match for a year. You went into the ring and then they threw you a basketball. And like, whoa, what's going on? We studied for a test and... We studied the New York City, uh, New, York, New York Police Department Patrol Guide, and then it had all these judgment questions that ne- judgment questions that never existed before. There was never a book that they told us what to read, but I thought it was the best test. And they asked the question I'll never forget, and I said to myself, "This question alone will decide who could be a good leader or not." And the question was that you, that the sergeant is at the desk. And it's there's a, a memo that said there's absolutely no excusals. Right. Right. And someone calls saying, Hey, listen, my kid just broke his arm. I have to go to the hospital. I have an emergency. And it, it, one question was like, Do you notify the commanding officer? Do you notify this one? But right. the answer, which I picked, was give him the day. And that's what it is. Even though the, the rule, right, was no excusals. But the best judgment was having courage was to give this person a day because it makes sense, right? And so the repercussions later, do the right exactly. thing. It takes courage, right? It takes courage to be a good leader and say, you know what, Michelle? Maybe some of these sergeants didn't like you, but that's okay. You know what? I personally, I don't like you, but you're always doing the overtime on Monday and you have a situation this weekend. You don't have to find somebody. I'm the sergeant. I'll find someone to take your place. That's right. what good leaders do. I used to, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I used to do the interviews personally for people that were in my units. And guys would laugh, and I would put people in the units that they knew personally I didn't like. I'm like, oh, boss, why are you putting this guy in? You don't like him. I said, yeah. 
but this person deserves the job and they were a good worker. And I would emotionally detach myself from the situation. So I'm sorry that that happened to you. I don't mean to go off on a rant, but it really does. And that's my message for people out there. To be a good leader, you have to have courage. Just be a good human. <laughs> like, There's a courage. side note on that. I took all the guys that were complaining about it. Just a side note. All the guys that complained about that test. I took... The, I took a whole rewritten test of that. I wasn't eligible for that test because I didn't study early enough. I should have, but I got a 98 on that test. So all you guys that are in the rank of captain and PI and inspector that were crying, that was, oh, it was the worst test. It was like, you know, that's why the, the, the vaccine mandate wasn't a big deal for you guys either because right. it was just lacking courage. <laughs> like 98. <laughs> yeah, it's not herd mentality. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Michelle, we're going on here almost an hour and a half. Yes. I want to thank you for taking your time out. And yes. I I've said it to you before, right? We, we, we've uh, connected and communicated through Instagram. I'm proud of you. It takes real courage thank that you. you stood up and said, I want to speak out and talk about my situation and, uh, the mental health issues and, 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 and how you've been psyched off the job. It takes courage for you to speak out. I, I don't hold anything against you. There's no stigma. We have physical issues, mental health issues. What we need to do is really show that we support each other. I want to thank you for coming on this podcast. Oh, thank you for um, having me. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah. If, if I just don't want anyone to feel like they're alone in what they're going through. And if they do, like you guys have my contact information. If anyone reaches out to you guys, Give them my information. Tell them to call me. Tell them to text me. Whatever. I'll I'll sit and talk to you. Three o'clock in the morning on the side of the road. I'll come and talk to you. I'll come and sit with you. Whatever whatever it needs. And I know everyone's like, oh, people say that. People say that. And they, people don't reach out. Seriously, reach out. Um, I don't care. I'll go anywhere. <laughs> um, I just don't want you dead. I I want you alive. Michelle, I'd love to have you back on in the future. Sure. Um, we can talk about issues as they arise. Yes. You tell everybody where we can find you on social media. Um, I, I can't remember my handle. <laughs> um, Instagram is lady underscore blue underscore NYC, I think. Sounds about right, right? That, um, that's it. Uh, I, I remember it. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I don't, you know, I don't pay attention to that that much. But yeah, they can reach out to me there too. Um, and even on like Facebook, I think I'm under like Michelle. It's like, um, but yeah, or if you know me reach, and you want to talk to someone, reach out. I'm here no matter what, no matter who you are. Doesn't matter. Yeah, awesome. Um, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you having the courage that most people don't have. I, th I think that you helped a lot of people. I think it was a good talk for both me and Eric. Um, you know, anybody else that's having mental health issues that wants to disclose their story, wants to tell the world about it, you know, yeah. we'll have you on as well. And again, Michelle, I, I really, I really gotta, I really gotta reach out to you because a lot of people reach out to me privately. Mm -hmm. We speak to privately, both me and Eric, like we speak, you know, to, to uh, people as individuals or we'll do as a group. Um, but it takes a lot of courage to do what you did. And, you know, I, I really, I just gotta say, I commend you. Thank yeah. you. I uh, listen. I appreciate you guys having me on. Oh, I, I honestly, I, I really am proud of you because we need more people like yourself to come forward and to be honest and say, listen, this, the stresses of the NYPD have led to anxiety and talk about your story because we need to 
we need to hear these stories more often and really dissect them and come up with a good plan, yeah. a support system yeah. where cops have some way to help them. And I think what we need to put more of an em emphasis, not on the actual mental health issues, is on preventive measures. So we don't yeah. get to this point. Yeah, that people feel comfortable. That's key. Uh, Michelle, you might hold on one second. Just stay here for a moment. John, can we get a word from our sponsors and we'll be right back? Yeah, absolutely. Ladies and also, guys, just if you are experiencing issues, the best thing that you could do is be financially capable to take care of yourself. Should the job upend your living situation? Should the job tell you something like it did me, like it did Eric, like it did Michelle? Um, so, you know, we, we highly recommend you investing in your future, both in life insurance, both in investment prospect, uh, uh, investment products. And the best way to do that is just do it consistently with small amounts over time. We highly recommend you get in touch with our friends at Laidlord Blue. Tell them we sent you. Law enforcement professionals dedicate their lives to serving and protecting our community. But who's protecting their financial futures? That's where Laidlaw Blue comes in. Our wealth management platform is specifically designed for the law enforcement community. Laidlaw Blue is a division within Laidlaw Wealth Management run by retired New York City detective John McDermott. His status as a retired detective uniquely positions him to establish a deep connection between Laidlaw Blue and the law enforcement community. Our platform is easy to use and provides a range of financial services, including investment management, retirement planning and insurance solutions. With Laidlaw Blue, you can secure your financial future and provide for your loved ones. Our team of experienced financial advisors understands the unique challenges and opportunities that law enforcement professionals face. We're here to help you navigate the complexities of financial planning and achieve your goals. Laidlaw Blue, secure your financial future today. Book a meeting using the QR code displayed or call us directly on 888-901-BLUE. That's 888-901-BLUE. All right, well, everybody. Michelle, before we, we end off, we usually like to give our guests the last word. Anything you want to end with? Anything you want to tell the audience? Um, it's okay to not be okay. It really is. And um, you know what? More people do care than you think. And more people are willing to help than you think I also. Um, it's very, it's, don't be, not, don't be afraid. You're going to be afraid. But if you take that one step and, that, and baby steps, it'll lead to so much more. It'll lead to you being alive. And like I said, reach out, really reach out. Well, you have it, Michelle. Thank you so much for highlighting your career and talking about your experience. John, as always, thank you so much. This is New York Spines for China Filter Podcast. Michelle, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thank you.